So this week is a little bit unusual in that we are not in a series. This is our annual State of the Church message. And I, I know that not everybody does that, but I figure once a year you deserve to hear all the things that I hear on a regular basis, both the challenges and the celebrations. And uh, most of us operate in church sort of in a corner of the church and don't necessarily uh, see the big picture. Uh, Taylor, when I finished the message today, there were a thousand children involved in leagues and camps last year. A thousand children in basketball and soccer and summer camp. Uh, then that doesn't even uh, touch the 750 people that were involved in vacation Bible school. And so you may not be aware of some of those things that are going on. And so each year I spend a, a little bit of time talking about where we've been, uh, where we are, and where we might be going. And kind of the theme of this year's State of the Church is the thought of equipping, of making disciples, sort of a picking up on the replicate theme that we that we did in the, the series uh, uh, that we have just, uh, not the most recent one, but the one we finished up before that, that, that to love God and help someone else love God, to love people and help someone else love people. Well, we're obviously state of the church has a, a high focus on leadership. And we, we have such a complicated church. I went to, uh, uh, the ball game last night with another pastor. Uh, he's from Greenwood, Mississippi. He and I were next door neighbors in seminary almost 40 years ago. And uh, we were just talking about being pastors. And he is in a, a small county seat town in North Mississippi in the Delta. And uh, it, it, the way he does church seems pretty traditional and, and, and somewhat um uh, predictable. And I, I think about all the moving parts that are Dunwoody Baptist Church and, and how one of Taylor's uh, challenges will be to enlist coaches and referees and, and then pour into them so that they coach and referee in such a way that it reflects Christ. That Jennifer leads a community Bible study and, and her job is to to not just lead the Bible study, but to equip someone else to lead it. Uh, that, that all of us, John, uh, that's his job, is to equip leaders in our church so that there's always a next man up. So that uh, in uh, the vernacular of, of the basketball team, the, the sixth man, there's always a, a person ready to come in the game uh, when somebody gets hurt, somebody needs a rest, somebody uh, gets traded to another team, that there is always a person to step in. And so the, the, the sort of the, the theme of this year's message is going to be uh, equipping. Um, want to deal with some scripture tonight. I'm real excited Sunday. You will not want to miss it. Bill Norman is going to join me uh, in the sermon. I've asked him to take uh, somewhere between five and eight minutes. He is a young leader in our church. Bill's probably in his young 30s. He has three children. 
uh, works for Fidelity uh, Financial Services, is uh, leading a trip of young adult men to Guatemala uh, in the next few months um, on a mission trip. They just decided that in their uh, Sunday school class, their Bible study on Sunday morning, that they wanted to do a mission trip. So they uh, got their group together, established the ground rules, figured out when they were going to do it, and they are headed for Guatemala. And uh, I wanted uh, you to hear how the church is doing through the eyes of a young leader who uh, who doesn't get paid to do ministry at all. In ministry, sometimes we say we're paid for being good. All of you guys are good for nothing. <laughs> So we'll uh, let that go. Um, but the, the passage of scripture that I'm going to start with is in Ephesians chapter 4. Ephesians chapter 4, just uh, uh, three or four verses there. Um, background there, Paul has been talking to the Ephesian church about unity. Uh, unity in the body. And I am most blessed at the unity that is in the body of Dunwoody Baptist Church. I just don't hear dissension. I hear complaints, and you do too, but I don't hear dissension. I don't hear uh, that, that somebody's mad at somebody. That disagreements, yes, but we seem to be able to work our way through those. So in, in, in his description about unity, in chapter 4 and verse 11, Paul says, so he gave some. And I, I added the word so, but Paul is, uh, as you know, horrible with punctuation. In the Greek, there, there are hardly, I, I believe chapter uh, 2 in Ephesians, verses 1 through 7 are one sentence in the Greek. There's no punctuation at all. And in chapter uh, 4, Paul is continuing the thought of unity, so we might add the word so. We are to be unified. We are to come together. We are to, to be united in purpose, as he said in Philippians 2, uh, maintaining the same love, uh, focused on the same spirit, intent on the same purpose. And so here he says, so he gave some people some gifts and roles. He says there are apostles and prophets and evangelism, evangelists. The term shepherds and teachers should not be two words. It should be one word, shepherd teachers or teacher shepherds. Uh, that is the role of the pastor that we most often think uh, the word evangelist usually means someone who is exceptionally gifted at uh, speaking into someone's life to the point that they understand their need for Christ as Savior. An apostle uh, is one of the legacy. Um, uh, it has more to do with authority. Uh, maybe we would call that person an elder today or a uh, um, or, or maybe even a pastor, but the, uh, the, the role of apostle in Paul's uh, usage here is looking back on a time when Jesus appointed 12 to carry on the gospel in the first century 
where it was most susceptible to extinction. So apostles, prophets, truth tellers, uh, those who can see the way things are and according to the word of God, how things will turn out according to the revealed word of God. This is not a fortune teller or a horoscopist. Is that a word? Let's, let's let it be a word. Uh, it, it's not somebody who's predicting the future, a tarot card reader. It's somebody who, who, who understands the word of God and its implications to the culture and its implications toward events as they unfold. And so he, he described four roles, but we would misunderstand this passage greatly if we thought that these were the only roles that served the church. We, we, would, we would totally abuse what Paul had to say when he, if we were to say every single follower of Christ is a minister. I'll say that again. Every single follower of Christ is a minister. And, and a little later in this passage, in this verse, he said he gave these things to equip the saints for the work of ministry. But you remember back in Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 through 10, for by grace are you saved through faith, and that is not of yourselves, that a free gift of God, lest anyone should boast. For we are Christ's workmanship, created in Christ to do good works. So this idea of equipping is not limited to these four offices. Those are just given as examples. So then he says, until for the building up of the body of Christ, the, the word that's used there is edifice or edification for the building up of the body of Christ. And here we go full circle. Until we all attain to the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God to mature manhood to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. So Paul lays out very clearly that the purpose of leadership in the New Testament church is to equip the saints. So the purpose of a pastor, the purpose of a teacher, the purpose of an evangelist, the purpose of a director of sports ministry, uh, the purpose of a prayer coordinator, the purpose of pastor of digital things, Gary, uh, the, that, that no matter what our gift mix is, it is given to us to equip others. I'll, I'll, I'll say this multiple times tonight. Leadership is always a temporary assignment. Leadership is always a temporary assignment. We, we know that, that whatever time we're serving, you will not always be the, the teacher at Community Bible Study. And so before you're not the teacher of community Bible study, you got to find somebody else who will be the teacher of community Bible study. And that's, that's the way that, that, this, that this is set up. So when we talk about the state of the church, I think all of us would say our church has a lot of momentum right now. Our church has a, a lot of things. I, I sat with a team on Tuesday and heard about $800,000 worth of uh, projects that had been done since we finished Project Main Street. 
air conditioners being repaired, roofs being fixed. You don't notice that the air conditioners have been, rep have been repaired, which is a good thing because you would notice if they had not. Now you could easily say, why are we spending all this money on ourselves? Well, we are equipping the saints. That we're we're not the, the 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 sign at the edge of the parking lot is you're now entering the mission field. We we have a, a a responsibility to take care of business here, so that in the places where you go, in the lead, the groups that you lead, you would be equipped. So at DBC, our structure is that we have seven pastors. We have a leadership team made up of 12 people. We have a finance team, a personnel team, and a missions team. Those are our, our leadership uh, nucleus or the, 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 I guess, where the buck stops. And each of those teams has a, a particular function. The, uh, the leadership team is sort of the, the spiritual uh, uh, accountability group for me as the pastor. The personnel team, make sure we treat everybody uh, with dignity, make sure that we, uh, uh, we follow all the rules. The finance team, make sure that we keep all things in the light with regard to our finances. And the missions team, uh, makes sure that we never lose focus on, on what our core principles are. Love God, love people, make disciples, make a difference. So that's the leadership of the church. That's who Paul would have been talking about here. But again, we, we make a grave error if we say, oh, I'm glad all those people are doing the work. Because I will say uh, Sunday, we have about little over 1,300 active resident members of Dunwoody Baptist Church and about 2,000 people who still call themselves members of Dunwoody Baptist Church because either they've moved away and not have not uh, formally connected with another church or they've gone into radio silence and we don't know where they are or who they are. We have a, a, a pretty substantial number of people who are not local to us, but who are very involved with us through our online ministries. And I'll talk a little bit more about that on Sunday as well. But the point tonight is to go back to our responsibility is to equip the saints. Our, our responsibility is to prepare the next man up, to make sure that we are busy about the work of replication about equipping the saints. And I want to use uh, an illustration, one of my favorites. And, uh, and, I, and, and as I studied this time, I kind of focused on an area of it that I had not connected the dots before. And I want to talk about the secession between Moses and Joshua. I want to talk about the way that Moses prepared Joshua for leadership and look at the things in scripture that he did. And then at the very end, I want to take a look at how Joshua uh, gave up leadership and uh, the, the sharp contrast um, between Moses and Joshua in, in terms of how they turned it over. Let me start with Joshua chapter three, 
verse five. You don't have to turn to it unless you want to. I'll I'll quote it. The scenario here, I'm going to start kind of at the end and work my way backwards. In Joshua chapter three, Joshua is about to lead the Israelites into the land of promise for the very first time. Uh, they had inhabited Canaan in the time of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. But once Abraham's uh, uh, descendant, uh, Jacob, during a time of famine, um, his youngest or second youngest son, Joseph, ended up in Egypt. And uh, that started a chain of events that led to the Israelites being in slavery in Egypt, and they were led out of that slavery by Moses uh, about 400 years after Joseph. So we pick up with Moses leading the Hebrew children out of, his, out of uh, Egypt, and they begin to wander in the wilderness toward the place where God has said, this is where I want you to settle, the land of promise, the land of Canaan. Today, we might call it Palestine. And so he wanted them to go there, but along the way, they broke their covenant relationship with God. They sinned. And in, the, in their unbelief that God was going to do everything he said he was going to do, that he was going to provide their food, their water, their protection, their leadership, they broke faith with God because they pretty much doubted all of that. I don't see food. I don't see water. I don't see leadership. I don't see a land of promise. And so Moses was the leader of that group. And sort of, if you're not watching closely, you'll focus on all of the great things that Moses did. But along the way, he began to groom an assistant named Joshua to be the eventual leader of Israel. Well, in Joshua chapter three and verse five, Joshua is giving final instructions. Moses by this point is dead. And Joshua is giving final instructions to the people of Israel. And he says to them, one of my most highlighted verses in every Bible, consecrate yourselves for tomorrow the Lord will do wonders among them. Joshua's terrified. Four times in Joshua chapter one are the, the instructions, be strong and courageous. And usually when our kids need to hear something four times, it's because they're not really getting it. Joshua was not certain that Moses had equipped him in every way that he needed to be equipped. And so he said to them, keep a healthy distance from the priests as they go into the river, for we have not been this way before. I've never been the leader of a church. I've never been the leader of a class. I've never been the leader of a disaster relief team. Bill Norman, I've never been the leader of a, of a mission team to Guatemala. Consecrate yourselves. Set yourselves apart. Examine what's inside of you. This Sunday, we'll take communion together before the state of the church message. And we'll take communion as a, 
as a symbol of our unity together, but also a symbol of consecration that we have we have said, I I need the, the, the reminder that it is the body and blood of Christ that has saved me. It's the, the body and blood of Christ that has consecrated me, that has pronounced me holy when I was anything but holy. And so the very end, Joshua is about to go and he is told, he tells the people, consecrate yourselves. Well, let's back up to Exodus chapter 17. Exodus chapter 17. This is the first time we see Joshua. First time we see his, his name. Joshua, um, it, it mentions him just like he, we're supposed to know who he is. Um, but in um, Joshua 17, they are wandering through the wilderness, and they're at a place called Rephidim, uh, Exodus 17, verse 1. There's no water for the people to drink. The people quarreled with Moses. They said, give us water to drink, and a miracle happens. He strikes the rock. Water comes out of it. All the people go, ooh, ah. And then in chapter uh, 17, verse 8, we finish up the miracle of water coming out of the rock. And now we're back to the battles that take place in the wilderness. Now, Amalek is the Amalekites. And uh, they were uh, ongoing adversaries for uh, Israel. And here we see Joshua's name mentioned. Amalek came and fought with Israel at Rephidim. So Moses said to Joshua, okay, that's the first time we've ever heard of him. We're supposed to know who he is. Typical Bible fashion, they're going to introduce him more fully in a little bit. And he said, hey, pick an army up. You know, pick out some men. Go against these guys. Tomorrow I will stand on the top of the hill with the staff of God in my hand. Now, the youth minister in me says, yeah, that's just like pastor. You're going to go up on the hill with your stick, and I'm going to be fighting in the battle in the valley. So Joshua did as Moses told him, fought with Amalek. And, and, and I only mention this because there's a sequence in chapter 17 and 18 that I don't believe was put there to give us an instruction about leadership but it falls that way. So give me a little bit of privilege, all right? So Joshua is fighting the battle in the valley. Moses goes up on the hill, and for some bizarre reason, I have no idea why. It's one of the questions, if, if I'm not just overcome with glory when I get to heaven, I'm going to ask God, what was this thing about? Because when Moses was able to hold his hands up, Joshua's army was able to advance. When Moses got tired and dropped his arms, Moses, Joshua's army had to retreat. Now, I don't, I don't know that. But what it tells us next almost gives us a, a bit of a hint about leadership. Because the, the scripture says that Aaron who was Moses' brother, and her, who was a he, but who was Moses' friend, Aaron and her slid a rock up under Moses' holy hiney, 
had him sit down and they each took an elbow and supported his arms where they could stay up in the air. And the scripture says that the battle was won and the last part of that scripture uh, just leaves us hanging there. But if I was to talk about leadership, I would go, God is telling us that leaders can't do it alone. Joshua's in the valley. Moses is supposed to be waving his arms before God, but he gets tired. And he needs the support and assistance of two others in order to carry on. Well, the next chapter gives us further illustration about leadership, though it's not intended to. It's We don't know how much time has passed. Apparently, Moses has taken a little bit of a retreat away from leading the people through the wilderness because all of a sudden he's on the backside of nowhere uh, and he's tending sheep for his father-in-law. Now, we don't really understand what's going on here, but uh, Moses is from uh, generally in this area. He has married a woman who is a Midian, a foreigner. Uh, her father is apparently a sort of a tribal chieftain of some uh, note, some importance. And his father-in-law has sort of been observing how Moses is leading the people through the wilderness. And there's a million of them by now. Okay, we're not talking about a little migration. There's a million Israelites working their way across the Sinai Desert, trying to find their way into this place of promise. No wonder he needed a break and just was helping out with the sheep farm that his father-in-law owned. I don't know. But his father-in-law says something very astute. If you look closely, in verse 13 of chapter 18, the next day, Moses sat to judge the people, and the people stood around from morning till evening. Okay, it's like the, the line to pay respects to Queen Elizabeth. Nine hours just to pass by the car. Twelve hours just to walk by. So the people waited from sunup to sundown for Moses to hear their dispute. Father-in-law is watching this. Down verse uh, uh, 14, Moses' father-in-law saw that he was doing it. He says, what in the world are you doing? What are you doing? Why, why do you sit alone? Circle the word alone. That's the key. Why do you sit alone? Moses said, because the people need me. Your daughter married way over her head. I'm the answer man. I'm, I'm God's mouthpiece. And his father-in-law said, no bueno. Well, that probably is not what he said because that's not even. <laughs> but he said, uh, what you're doing is not good. Verse 17. Verse 18, you and the people with you will certainly be worn out. So Moses is not equipping a leader. He's not raising up the next man in. We, we've heard about Joshua, but apparently he's just sort of his field commander. He says, you're going to wear yourself out. You're going to wear the people out. 
So Moses said, what, what do I need to do? I will give you advice, his father-in-law says, verse 21. Look for able men from all the people, men who fear God, who are trustworthy. And the word God there is capitalized. That's, that's Jehovah, that's Yahweh, which means that his foreign father-in-law has come to worship God. Find people who are trustworthy, hate a bribe, place such men over the people as chiefs of thousands and hundreds and fifties and tens. Let them judge the people. Every great matter they will still bring to you, but every small matter, let these people judge them. Let these people decide. If you do this, God will direct you and you will be able to endure, and all the people will go to their place in peace. You, you, you get a sense that, that God is saying to the leader, you're going to burn out if you do this all on your own. And here's a plan. Find people who have good character, and then equip them. Help them understand how to do it, and then let them do it. Uh, go, go ahead and, and, and take your sabbatical or whatever, and, and let them do that. So we, we know that Moses is being taught about the necessity of raising up another leader. And in just a little bit, we find that he takes it to heart. So in, verse in chapter 20, the Ten Commandments uh, talks about those for a little while. Uh, verse chapter 25, we... Uh, uh, we we see that he's making this full blown, but look back in twenty four, chapter twenty four. Moses is uh, writing down the words that God gives him, and then in verse twelve we see a cryptic kind of transition. Lord said to Moses, "Come up to me on the mountain, so I can give you some tablets of stone." What do we call those tablets? Ten Commandments. Verse 13. So Moses arose with whom? But now he gives him a title. His assistant, his aide. Now there's a, a some kind of formal transaction that has taken place where Joshua has apparently... Uh, been promoted from being a, a military field general to Moses' assistant. And we're beginning to see it take shape, that, that Moses is developing an idea of succession. So he says, Moses with his assistant, and Moses went up on the mountain of God. So then we have the... Uh, Tabernacle, the Ark of the Covenant, the tablets, uh, the tabernacle, uh, the priestly garments. Let's go all the way over to chapter 33, just so that I won't uh, run out of time. Uh, chapter 33. 32, back up. This is the incident of the golden calf where Moses stayed up on Mount Sinai too long, and uh, the people got restless. They wanted a visible leader. Stay with me. They wanted a visible leader. Their leader was gone. 
Joshua with him. Who was in charge? I guess it's Aaron, Moses' brother. Well, Aaron was not a very strong leader. That's why I think that that it was also a priest. He he would not have have been a uh, a man who could lead militarily. And so uh, Joshua is with Moses, and in their absence, in the absence of weak leadership, the people begin to rebel. They begin to worship anything but God. And so uh, the the scripture tells us that Moses and Joshua come down from the mountain and find the people dancing around this golden calf. Bizarre. God says, let me just smite them all. Moses talks him out of it. Verse 16, chapter 32 the tablets were the work of God. The writing was the writing of God. When Joshua heard the noise of the people, he said uh, to Moses, something's going on. I guess there's a war. No, it's just a party. But it's a party to paganism. Moses got so upset, he broke the tablets and uh and now the people are going to suffer because they've broken faith. Well, watch what happens. After that, they are commanded to leave Sinai, and we really start seeing him training Joshua. Exodus 33, verse 11. Thus the Lord used to speak, to Moses face to face as a man speaks to his friend. When Moses turned again into the camp, his assistant Joshua, the son of Nun, his dad was not a nun, but named Nun, uh, there, there is a, a clear demarcation here that Joshua is now the heir apparent. His assistant. He, he, he introduces him. He, he formalizes it. Joshua, his assistant, the son of Nun, and now it says he will do what? He will never depart. He will never depart. He will always be by Moses' side. So chapter 33, we have uh, the rest of the um, uh, the intercession and the uh, the establishment of uh, the covenant. And uh, then Exodus uh, comes to an end, and it's clear that Joshua is uh, the next man up. Well, if you don't mind, or even if you do, how about turning over to Leviticus, I marked it where Leviticus, I'm sorry, Numbers chapter 13. Numbers chapter 13. In Leviticus, he gave the laws. In Numbers, he's uh, interpreting them. And in Numbers 13, we see, um, you got a question? No, no. Are you just checking your email? Well, Kyle just sent me an email, and you know, all right. I thought for a second it was important. Okay, I was wrong. Don't let Taylor hear you say that. 
So in Numbers chapter 13, the Lord spoke to Moses. They, they, they are nearing the end of their time in the wilderness. All the stuff we've been talking about, now Joshua is not leaving Moses' side. Now Moses said, I have a very important assignment, and I'm going to need you involved in it. The Lord spoke to Moses, send men to spy out the land of Canaan. Go take a look. Spy out the land. Verse 16. These were the names of the men who he sent. And Moses called Joshua, Hoshiah, the son of Nun, Joshua, sent them to spy out the land. Scripture tells us that when they came back with their report, 10 out of the 12 of the spies said, great land, but it's too much for us to conquer. The enemy's too strong. The people are too big. We don't have iron tools. We, we just, we can't do this. So only, verse 6, chapter 14, Joshua, the son of Nun, and Caleb, the son of Jephunneh, were among those who had spied out the land, the only two who gave a good report. So we're already seeing that Joshua's faith is approaching Moses' faith. Now, Moses is not perfect, okay? He's, he's, he's had some problems. As a matter of fact, uh, he is not going to get to go into the promised land because he was disobedient when God said, okay, this time for water, I don't want you to strike the rock. I want you to speak to it. But Moses, being the kind of leader that so many of us are, he did what he knew, and he struck the rock again. And God said, because you've broken faith with me, you don't get to see the promised land. I'm going to let Joshua lead the people. So Joshua has seen the good and the bad and the ugly of Moses' leadership, but he's been there with him. Moses has not hidden from him. He's, he's mentored him. He's coached him. He's let him experience leadership. He's let him experience the goodness of God. He's let him experience the wrath of God. So at the very end of uh, this, now go over to Deuteronomy chapter 31. Deuteronomy chapter 31. We finally get to the place where the scripture says, plain and simple, Joshua is going to secede Moses. Verse 1, chapter 31. Moses continued to speak all these words. He said to them, I'm 120 years old. I am now fully vested in Medicare. <laughs> One day, it'll be hard to believe, but you can do this at 66 and a half. <laughs> but I had to wait till I'm 120. This is 1400 BC. The Lord has said to me, you shall not go over this Jordan. It is not your time anymore. Your, your leadership has been good. Your time has been good but it's time for someone else. So verse seven, then Moses summoned Joshua and he said to him in the sight of all Israel, 
Be strong and courageous. For you shall go with this people into the land that the Lord has sworn to their fathers to give them, and you shall put them in possession of it. It is the Lord who goes before you. He will be with you. He will not leave you. He will not forsake you. Do not fear or be dismayed. Verse 23, the Lord commissioned Joshua, the son of Nun, and he also said to him, be strong and courageous, for you shall bring the people of Israel into the land that I swore to them, and I will be with you. So, folks, there, there there's a lot here. And, and in just these few verses, if you, the, the next uh, book after Deuteronomy is Joshua, and in the very first part of Joshua, you, you see this commissioning coming full circle where God now begins to speak to Joshua in the same way he spoke to Moses. Now, Joshua chapter 1, verse 1, gives us a clue as to why it was definitely time for Moses to leave, uh, for Joshua to leave. Anyone to help me out? Moses is dead. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, Moses is dead. It's, uh, it's, yeah. So now you need a general. So the soldier becomes the general. He says, Moses, my servant is dead. Verse two. So arise, go over this Jordan. Everything Moses was wanting to do for 40 years, now you're going to do this week. You're going to take the people across. The Jordan is in sight. <clears throat> Every place that the sole of your foot will tread, I have already given you. Past tense. I have already given you. The promise is in. I've already given you that. So basically, in these verses, God is saying to Joshua, the leadership mantle has been passed to you. But this was not Moses' ministry. This is my ministry. And it will go on. Faith did a wonderful job leading sports ministry. But that leadership mantle has passed. And a wonderful future awaits what Taylor is going to do. Because it wasn't Faith's ministry. It wasn't Jack Hudson's ministry. It's God's ministry. And, and the conservatorship of that ministry has now passed to a new leader. That, that's what he's saying here in the first four verses. It's God's ministry. Verse five, God's not going to leave you. He says in verse five, be strong in Korea. Uh, no man shall be able to stand before you. Just as I was with Moses, your predecessor, I will be with you. God enables to build on the past. Look at verse six. You shall cause this people to inherit the land that I swore to the people before you. Success will be in your attention to the details. Verse 8, this book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate on it day and night. I, I say those four because what happened next is tragic. It's sad. And, and I, I, I want to kind of close tonight by pointing you all the way to the very end of the book of Joshua. 
because everything that Moses did with Joshua, Joshua didn't do with someone else. Everything that Moses did to groom, coach, mentor, teach, instruct, develop, give opportunity, bless, commission, challenge, charge, all of those things that Moses did with Joshua that we just document. There's no mention of anybody that Joshua was raising up. There's no mention of an assistant, an aide. There's no mention of an understudy. And when we get to the very end of Joshua in chapter 24, Joshua gathers all of Israel's leader. He's about to die. He reminds them that they're supposed to pay attention to the word. And then he says the famous, choose this day who you will serve. Whether the gods of your fathers served in the region beyond the river or the God in whose land you will dwell. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. After these things, verse 29, Joshua died being 110. They buried him in his own inheritance. Israel served the Lord all the days of Joshua and all the days of the elders who outlived Joshua and had known his work. As for the bones of Joseph, they were buried there. But look at chapter 1 of Judges. After the death of Joshua, the people of Israel inquired of the Lord, who will go up for us? Who is our leader now? There aren't any kings. There aren't any prophets. Samuel, no. Joshua, He's dead, and there's no leader that has arisen here. And if you were to go to the very last part of the book of Judges, it's the line that a lot of us have heard before, but now probably makes sense because we've heard the whole story. And it was the time of the Judges, verse, uh, chapter 21, verse 25. Of judges. It was the time of the judges, and everyone did what was right in their own eyes. So, when we talk about the state of the church and the, 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 the mandate for the church, yes, love God, love people. But the make disciples and make a difference is the part where we go. We are blessed that people before us have equipped strong leaders. Esther is taken on the prayer ministry. Before her, it was Marcy Cotton. Before her, it was June Webb. There have always been people who have said, this is a ministry that I feel like I want to take. And so there is this, this sense that our leadership is only as good as us preparing the next man. Our leadership is the equipping of the saints. Our leadership is the 
preparation of the next generation of leaders. So yes, let's get our jobs done. Keep our foot on the gas pedal. But let's always be in mind that we are equipping leaders who will follow after us. And the state of the church will give you a lot of details as well. But uh, that's kind of the scripture that'll be behind it on Sunday. All right, team. I talked the whole time, but um, buckle up on Sunday. We've got communion. We've got testimony. We've got lots going on. So uh, see you all on Sunday. Thanks for everything. Good night.